And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit. Despise not prophesying. Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from all appearances of evil. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you all by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. You may be seated. Prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. I'm sure many of you have heard of the story of the Trojan horse. For a number of years, back around 1184 BC, the Greek soldiers were trying to gain entrance into the city of Troy. They had the city surrounded, but couldn't get in. In an attempt to get in, the Greeks built a huge hollow horse and set it outside the city wall as a gift filled with Greek soldiers who were hidden inside the horse and then left. The people of Troy dragged the horse inside the city walls despite some people who warned against, against it, lest it is a trick by the Grecian army. That night, with the horse inside the city walls, the Grecian men that were hidden inside the horse came out, opened the city gate to let more of their men in, and took over the city. Today, people use the term the Trojan horse when there is something that infiltrates something to destroy it. So we can ask the question, are we letting the Trojan horse inside our church in our age today? Are there things creeping inside into our church that, it, that can eventually destroy our church? Let's go a little bit closer. What about in my life or in yours? Have you, have I allowed things into my life that can destroy our Christian life? And maybe what we let in our life today won't destroy our Christian life, but when it is passed on down to the next generation and with what they allow in to their life, it will bring them to ruin. So the call for us today is to prove all things. And that is the title of the sermon today. Um, here in 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul was writing 
this letter mainly to Gentile believers. Paul wrote this letter to comfort the believers that those who had already died in Christ, that everyone, whether dead or alive in Christ, will be forever with the Lord. And we can see that Paul wrote a good portion about the rapture and the second coming of Christ in the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5. And whenever Paul writes about the second coming of Christ, he often writes how we ought to live, and this is no different here. Paul gives 22 commands from verses 6 to verse 22. These commands are for us today as well. You know, Paul was expecting Christ to come back in his lifetime, but he didn't come back yet. And that means for us, Christ's return is so much more closer than when Paul wrote these words. We need to follow these commands with the return of Christ in mind as we look at this passage. There is a sense of urgency. There is a sense that obeying the commands is really important, lest we fall away from Christ, lest we are found not blameless and experience the wrath of God. Notice the words that Paul uses so that we can catch the urgency of it. Uh, verse 12, we see, And we beseech you, brethren. Paul is begging them. He's making requests to them. And also in verse 14, Now we exhort you, brethren. And in some of the other translations, it uses the words, We urge you, brethren. We can catch the drift that these commands are very important when we think about the second coming of Christ. I want to look now at the two verses that I read in the beginning of, my, of the message here. Prove all things. What does it mean to prove? In some of the other translations, it uses the word to test all things or to examine all things. To prove has the idea to judge, to see whether something is true or not. Another word that we could use is to discern. There are different pictures in our world today that describes how we are to prove all things. The first picture that we, that we can use is a doctor. A doctor gives you an examination, whether it is to your eyes or your ears or a physical examination. When the doctor does this, you can see whether you need glasses or not or whether you need hearing aids or not or whether there is something else wrong with your body. The doctor is trying to find out the truth about the condition of your body. He's trying to find out what is wrong with you. If we would go to the doctor and he would prescribe glasses for you when you actually need hearing aids, the doctor would soon lose his business. Another picture of the word to prove is um, a judge in a courthouse. The judge's job is to determine who is guilty based on the evidence that came into court. 
They try to determine what is true or false based on those evidence. And a judge wouldn't be a good judge if he based his decisions on his feelings or his mood for that day. Another picture that we can use that um, describes the word to prove is a teacher when they give a test to their students. And many of you children had your tests or final exams this past week, or maybe you'll have them this coming week. But your teacher is testing you to see what you know from the previous year, to see whether you learn anything from your teacher that year. And depending on what happens on that test, depending on how much you know, it will show your teacher whether you're capable to move on to the next grade or not. A teacher would not be a good teacher if they wouldn't give you any tests. And if they pass the child on to the next grade without knowing what the child knows. And the last picture that I have here of the, the, that describes the word to prove is a picture or when a person tests metal to see if it is genuine. One way that a person tests metal is by fire. And depending on the color of the flame, they can tell what metal that you have. Also, 1 Corinthians 3, 13 to 15 describes another way of testing metal. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive the re a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but himself, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. The fire is what proves what is genuine or not. Without the fire in our lives, or when in testing metal, we wouldn't be able to tell if our works that we do is genuine, or we couldn't tell what metal we have, and even if we have any metal at all. With these illustrations that I give, that I gave, it shows us what it means to prove something. So what are we to prove? First Thessalonians says that we are to prove all things. And we can ask the question, so how much is all things? And of course, you would say everything. But we are to prove. We are to test. We are to judge. We are to discern everything that comes our way. In the New American Translation, it says to examine everything carefully. We can see the seriousness of it. But what exactly was Paul thinking of when he told them to prove all things, the church there in Thessalonians? Notice the previous verse in verse 20. It says, despise not prophesying. We can ask the question, what is prophesying? It is God speaking to us. And it's us de declaring what God has said. 
and prophesying, I am doing that right now. I'm trying to be a prophet for God by telling you what God says in his word. And that is the same for everyone else who proclaims what God is saying in his word. While Paul is telling them to not despise, to not reject the prophesyings, at the same time, he's telling them to prove all things. Why did Paul write this to the Thessalonians? This phrase here, that I, the two verses that I read in the beginning. Was it possible that they were not testing everything to see whether it was true or not? The church in Thessalonians, they, the people there were becoming deceived, deceived by false teachers. And we can see that in 1 Thessalonians 2, 3. It says, For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. Paul needed to tell them that what he, had, what he told them was true, and that he had no hidden agenda in what he told them. It seems like there were other people telling him, Things that were false, and they had um, hidden agendas behind it. Another reason why Paul wrote this letter is because they were allowing their experiences to control them. Their church was being persecuted, and Paul sent Timothy to them to encourage them so that they wouldn't be moved. They were being moved by the afflictions that were that they were experiencing. So. Paul sent Timothy so that they wouldn't be moved in their thinking of, of the gospel. Also, in the next letter, 2 Thessalonians 2, 1-3, to um, talking about how these people were being deceived, it says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us. As that the day of Christ is at hand, no, let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. The people were being deceived by false teachers that Christ's second coming has already happened, and they were left behind. And also, that those who have died wouldn't be able to be a part of the second coming of Christ. These people were allowing the Trojan horse to come into their, into their church. That brought discouragement and disappointment. In which it could have been, in which it could have had an impact on their own life. And also the life of their children. When we think about Paul, Paul was a good preacher. And when we think about his life, we picture him as a great man of God. And he was. And part of that is God spoke to them, spoke to him to give to us the words of God. And I think this is what made him a good preacher. And we have great appreciation for his letters because he gave to us the words of God. But even the Bereans handled the preaching of Paul and Silas in a correct way. They proved all things. 
Acts 17, 10 to 12, it says, And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were, were more noble than those in Thessalonica, Thessalonia, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Therefore, many of them believed. Notice the three steps of action that these people took. They received the word of God with all readiness and open-mindedness. They searched the scriptures daily to show so that they know the truth. They lined up with what Paul preached to them with the Old Testament. They did not have the New Testament. And this tells us how very important the Old Testament is to us as Christians. And then after they received the word, after they searched the scriptures, they believed what is plainly written in the scriptures. And this is the steps that we too need to take in order to prove all things. When we listen to speakers, we need to do that. Paul even told the, the Corinthians, I speak as to wise men. Judge ye what I say. Judge ye what I say. See if what I say is right or wrong. Those who are wise are those who see for themselves if what they hear is true or not. In 1 John 4, John tells us to try the spirits. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of, or are, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come. And even now already it is it come is it in the world. John tells us why we should try every spirit to see whether they are of God. He says that because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Because a Trojan horse is waiting at each church door, waiting to be allowed in. And these are not necessarily, in our minds, worldly people that are way out there that come in deceiving us. It is those from within, those that seem like good church members. And that's a scary thought. We need to prove all things. Those that seem like they're good church members. Satan is not able to tell the Christians to go against God's plan to reject him. So he comes to us as an angel of light. He tries to get us to explain Scripture away. He tries to get our human minds to understand God by distorting the reality of sin and grace. He will keep on deceiving. He will keep on working until we change our focus as God, being the only God of the universe, to myself, being the God around me. 
And that is exactly what happened long ago before Satan fell. He wanted himself on the throne instead of God. The Pharisees and the Sadducees didn't do well to prove all things. Matthew 16, 1-4 says, The Pharisees also with the Sadducees came and, detempt, and tempting desire him that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said unto them, When it is evening, evening, ye say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but, ye, but can ye not discern the signs of the time? A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given unto it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. And he left them and departed. These men could very well tell when there was going to be bad weather or good weather. But they couldn't discern the, times, the signs of the times that they were in. They wanted Jesus to tell them whether he was the Messiah or not, in spite of all the miracles, the teachings that he already did. The signs were there, but they refused to believe the signs. They allowed the Trojan horse into their life. The only sign that Jesus gave them is a sign of Jonah, which we can see in Matthew 12, where it says that just like Jonah was three nights and three days in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. I have a couple comments about the next two phrases before we talk about each one about the phrase, hold fast that which is good and abstain from all appearance of evil. So what makes good, good? Or what makes evil, evil? Today in our world, and even in the church, we need to answer that question. If we get that question wrong, everything is up for grabs. It all depends on what our feelings are for that day. Many people in the church today are confused what is good and what is evil. And the reason that people get confused about good and evil is because either they or others are defining what is good and evil. And depending on their circumstances, it changes all the time. Good and evil never change. The words in Scripture never change. We need to change in order to line ourselves up to what is good and to know what is evil. Good and evil is not what you or I want it to be. It is something that is fixed. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light, and light for darkness, that put, butter, that put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. We see in Genesis 2 that God placed a tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden. I think God created the good, and since we are creatures of choice, we can either, choo we can either choose good or the opposite, which is evil. And still trying to find out what, who determines what is good, good, 
who determines what is good or evil. Psalms 34, 8, it says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. And also 1 Peter 2, 3, it says, If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. And the word gracious in other translations, it is that the Lord is good. We can see that God is the foundation. He is the only one that can tell us what is good or evil. One thing that is very important as we think about um, good and evil, we cannot prove all things of our own selves. We need an outside force, an outside help to help us. Before we were saved, we were wretched men that lived only for ourselves. We couldn't prove all things because our hearts are deceitfully wicked. In order for us to prove all things, we need to be born again. We need the Holy Spirit to help us. The Holy Spirit guides us through His Word to help us to prove all things. People many times try to find gray areas in the Bible or in life. But there are no gray areas with God. It is black or white with God. And that is how he will judge. And a couple phrases in scriptures where we can see that, that God is either black or white. First, you're saved or you're unsaved. Another one, you are in the light or you're in the darkness. Another one, you're doing what is good or you're doing what is evil. Another one is you are righteous or you're unrighteous. Or you're on the broad way or you're on the narrow way. There's no in-between with God. You're either one or the other. I want to look now at the phrase, hold fast that which is good. What does it mean to hold fast that which is good? Does it mean that you just casually choose to do good? The words hold fast and abstain are very strong words. I like what it says in Romans 12, 9, which says the same thing in a different way. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. The word cleave to that which is good. To hold fast is to keep secure, keep firm, possession of. Keep your fingers tightly around it. Don't let it go. Embrace it. The word cleave in Romans 12 means being glued together. Being cemented to, fastened together. And that word reminds me of a married couple. A couple that is bound together for life. And that's the same word that we need to use when we are clinging, holding fast to that which is good. Just like a married couple. It is to form an intimate connection with that which is good. When we cleave to that which is good, we enter into the closest relations with it. 
we unite ourselves to what is good. Hold fast to, what, to that which is good. Cleave to that which is good. What does the word good mean? It is something that is excellent in, na- in its nature and characteristics. It is something that is genuine. genuine. In other words, it is something that is true. What is good that we, need to, that we need to hold fast to? We already read the verse in Psalms 34 where we are to taste and see that the Lord is good. John 14, 6, it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Remember I said good means something that is true. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. John 8, 32 says, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. I believe we know the answer of whom we are to hold fast to. It is Jesus. Another verse in 1 Timothy 1, 13 and 14. Hold fast the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me, in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus, that good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. Here Paul tells Timothy to hold fast the form of sound words, the scriptures which is in Christ Jesus. He is to keep, he is to guard by the aid of the Holy Spirit that with what he has learned. Jesus is the very foundation of all good things that, he, that happen here on this earth. And while there's a lot of evil things in this world, there are also a lot of good things in this world as well. But these good things are only good if they point you to Jesus Christ. If it does not point us to Jesus, it is therefore evil. And the good things that we may think about in our world today is our jobs, our homes, our recreation, our entertainment, the food we eat, our church, and those within our church. All these things must point us to Jesus. If it doesn't, it's useless. It's evil. What's the point? May I remind you again, there are no gray areas with God. Hold fast to that which is good. Hang on tightly to it. Don't let the Trojan horse come in to destroy your life. I want to look at the phrase, now I abstain from all appearance of evil. Like I said, the word abstain is a strong word. It is not a half-hearted response toward the appearance of evil. To abstain means to hold oneself away from, to refrain from. The word in Romans 12 uses the word abhor, which means to dislike, to have a horror of it. Another word that we could use is to shun it, which means that we persistently avoid, we ignore it, or reject it. When we examine all things, we need to be faithful in both of the commands. 
Hold fast to that which is good and abstain from all appearance of evil. Both commands need to happen in our life. Paul doesn't just say abstain from evil, but even the appearance, the appearance of evil. Even the things that appear evil, the things that don't seem right, stay away from it. The word evil has the idea of something that is wicked or bad. Evil is something that is very dangerous for anyone. But sometimes it may, it may not look like it is evil. It may seem like it's all right. When we think about evil, our minds could possibly be going to covetousness, greed, immorality, and so on. But here in 1 Thessalonians 5, I don't think that Paul is thinking of these sins in this chapter. <clears throat> Remember that I told you that the Thessalonians were believing false prophets about what they said about Jesus' second coming. They were being led away from that which is true. The appearance of evil... I believe it's unbelief. Not believing what God said in His Word. <clears throat> when we choose not to believe God, it is evidence of our pride, of pride in our life. We are trying to live life on our own strength. <clears throat> Hebrews 13, or Hebrews 3.12 says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. In departing from the living God. Here we see that is unbelief that departs us from the living God. Hebrews 4.11, it says, Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. And in that chapter, it is referring back to the Old Testament when the children of Israel fell away because of unbelief. Let us labor to enter into the eternal rest. And also in our Sunday school lesson, we saw in Ephesians 5, 6, Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. The wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience. We ought to be very careful with the books that we read, the podcasts that we listen to, the sermons that we listen to. If they don't preach Christ, we would do well to shun it. Have no part of it lest we fall into unbelief. And when we study other religions so that we can gain a better understanding of the religion. We need to be really careful. The Bible says to abstain from it. Let's not expose ourselves to the evil of false doctrine. Let's notice how we are to treat those who believe in false doctrine. Romans 16, 17 and 19. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them, which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience is come abroad unto all men. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf. But yet 
I would, not, I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. We are to first mark them, those who teach things contrary to the Scripture. And when we have them marked, we are to avoid them. Don't associate with them. Paul says that we should be wise to that which is good and simple or innocent to that which is evil. Let the Trojan horse outside the church doors. Let the Trojan horse outside of your life. Don't let him come in. So what does all this look like for us? In Romans 12, 9, it says, Let love be without dissimulation. And I think that connects um, with, with this. Or let love be the word dissimulation. Let love be sincere or genuine. When we have true love for something, you have no part with something, other, something else. For us men, when we love our wife, there is no room for another and when we love god like we should there's no room for anything else and when we love that which is good we will hate the evil when there's true love for that which is good there's absolutely no room for that which is evil another picture of what this looks like 1 Thessalonians 5.17, it tells us to pray without ceasing. I believe this is something that is very important as we prove all things. We need to pray often. We need to constantly ask God for wisdom so that we can discern what is true or false. We need to take the lesson from Solomon when he asked God to give him an understanding heart to judge the people, that he may discern between good and bad. Is that something that we pray for? Is that something that we ask God for often? Discernment, knowing what is good and bad. And I think when we prove all things, we need to do this in a, in a spirit of humility. All false religions is centered around myself. The Christians recognize that God is the one who gives good things. We can't, by our own strength, distinguish between the good and evil. We can't prove all things. We need the Holy Spirit to guide and direct us. We need another person to guide us. We cannot do it on our own strength. We need humility. Another way that we can prove all things is read the scriptures. When we know the truth, when we have God's word hidden in our hearts, we will know when the Trojan horse is coming around to bring destruction. A banker never studies counterfeit money. He studies the real money. He studies what is true. The same is true for us as well. 
We too need to study the scriptures and know what it says. Don't study the counterfeit. Study what is true. Are you holding fast to that which is good? Do you love that which is good? Do you abstain? Do you abhor the evil that you see or hear? My challenge for you is to prove all things, all things. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Don't allow the Trojan horse into your life to bring destruction to you, your family, or also to our church. Let's kneel to pray. Our Holy Father, thank you, Lord, for your many blessings and your love for us. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit that guides us. I pray, God, that you just be with each one of us. Give us the strength um, to prove all things. I pray, that God, that we can do that in humility, um, and that we can recognize that we need you to help us. I pray, God, that you just give us the strength this week um, as we go through our life, as things come, um, come to us, that you would just help us to prove all things and not just accept it, but that we would approve it. I pray, God, as we prove it, that we would cleave to that which is good and abstain from all appearance of evil. This God, and direct us, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.